You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. Um, today, as we step back into Corinthians, we're getting near the end of the book, and uh, we're, we're going to have a couple more weeks on it, I think, and it, it's really coming to a, a conclusion. And as we do that, I'd like you to um, think about today, uh, I, I don't know what it would be for you, but what gets you excited? You know, for some of you, it might be a good meal, maybe a movie or a book. Uh, hanging out with your friends and family, winning a game or something, I don't know, whatever it is, some big accomplishment at school or work, maybe you graduated or you got a good grade on a test, you think for yourself what that is and, and try, to, uh, try to imagine those feelings, okay? And, and I'm gonna go a particular path with that um, based on what I see in America today and just my own life and, and watching things. I would bet that many of you your team winning a big game or a championship is probably right up there with, with one of those exciting things that you, you'd find. Um, I need to clear the air here for a minute. And it's not just because Sean's not here today, I actually wish he was, but since he's not here, let's talk about him, okay? <laughs> I would venture a guess that most of you are in agreement with me that rooting for the New England Patriots is similar to rooting for the evil empire. Right, Cat? Cat, yes, I got a yes, okay. Um, I actually have some compelling visual evidence that this is true. So if you guys could put up the first picture up there. <laughs> right? That, that almost closed the case for me. Up there on the right, you have the emperor, and on the left, you have Bill Belichick. Oh, I got that backwards. I can't tell, right? They're the same guy, All right? That's not it, though. There's more. One more. Okay? Case closed. Darth Vader, Tom Brady, you can't tell the difference. All right? So as long as we're all in that same boat, okay? We, I know most of us are squirming up here talking up the Patriots, so I had to get that out of the way. But in terms of getting excited or, or celebrating or winning for our celebrating our team winning, I, I got to think about that for a minute. And I mean, that's that's kind of a, a Monday thing. Is it okay to celebrate for that? Is it okay to get excited when your team wins? Well, I, I got to think back to the last couple of Super Bowls when I see that. Last year, I was really happy when the Patriots lost. I got to admit, okay, I was really happy about that. Um, you know the the and rejoicing in people losing, though, that's not really a good idea. The Germans have a term for that. For that. I think it's pronounced Scheidenfrude when you're rejoicing in someone else's losing. And it's not a healthy habit, but I'll admit to it. I loved watching them lose. That was great. But I have to give the Patriots their due. Okay, two years ago now, two years ago, they had the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. It was an amazing situation. We actually had a Super Bowl party here that year, right? And they were getting blown out in the first half. And at halftime, people started to drift home. This is a waste of time, right, whatever. And a few of us stayed behind to clean up. And as we were cleaning up, I was watching, keeping track of the game on my phone, and I saw them start to come back. I'm like, hey, guys, let's put that back on while we're cleaning up. Something might happen. So we did that. And we watched, and wow, that was amazing. They came back. I got to give them their due, although the Falcons, of course, threw the game away for them, but whatever. Um, but I want, I, in terms of, is it okay to celebrate when your team wins? Well, I've got a video that will give evidence to this. Okay? <laughs> that, that occurred, that was captured at the moment they tied the game. And of course, we all know they went on to win. So if we're gonna follow our pastor, apparently it's okay to celebrate when your team wins, all right? So be it. Um, and I, I think it is okay. You know, but what we have to do is keep perspective on that, right? The, it's not the end of the world when your team loses. It's not the pinnacle of your life when they win. But it's fun. It absolutely is fun. We can enjoy that. All right? So as we enter into our, our discussion of the passage today, 
I, I want you to realize for me, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 51 to 58, this is really something to get excited about. Okay, now I'm, I'm not the most excitable guy. You may not know that, but I'm not. Um, in fact, one of my college roommates, one time, we were talking about like stress, and I, I said I needed to relax or something like that. He looked at me and said, if you were any more relaxed, you'd be dead. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. But uh, so when I see something that gets me excited, it, it, I take notice. And this is one of those things. So I'm going to read this passage and, and let you see here, because what it talks about, guys, it talks about us going home to be with Jesus. And to me, there ain't nothing more exciting. Okay, so let's read, let's read this passage, verse uh, 51 in 1 Corinthians 15. It'll be on the, on the screen if you need to look at that. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have this to look forward to. We thank you that you promised it to us, and we can take confidence in that. And Father, as we read these words today, please help, it, help us to uh, take that confidence and put it into our lives and be able to serve you with all of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this passage has it all, honestly, guys. We've got a great promise. We've got some good explanation. There's a powerful application in there. And to top that all off, we got some good old-fashioned first-century trash talking. Paul lets it, lets it rip on this one. It's kind of neat to see. And that's free of charge. He doesn't charge any extra for that. So the, uh, the first part I want to look at is the promise he gives us in verse uh, 50, 51 and 52. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be, dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall, be, we shall be changed. Okay? So what we see from that is when Jesus comes back, and he's coming back. That's a promise the scripture makes very clear. Um, those who have surrendered to him and know him as their savior, they're moving on up, right? They're going to go be with him, be like he, he was. All those different phrases that are used throughout the Bible to talk about our, our being with Jesus is going to happen. And uh, that is a huge promise. To be able to count on that for eternity gives you the, the ability to, to cope with things in a way that if you didn't have that, what are you going to do? So that is a pretty brief explanation of the promise. I want to go to another passage that kind of expands on this and then talk about it all together. So I'm also going to read to you 1 Thessalonians 4, a section from there that will help us to see uh, a little bit more clearly what's going on. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 and following. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will raise first, then, those, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will, be, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we see in the, the Thessalonian passage here that Paul doesn't want them to be uninformed. He wants to make it clear to them what's going on. And back in the Corinthians passage, he wanted to explain a mystery to them. So it wasn't something that was easy for people to understand, or it wasn't something that was an obvious truth. It was kind of needed to be revealed by God what was going to happen. So I want to make sure we get the same thing out of these passages. I want you to, to have it revealed to you and not be uninformed of it because we're supposed to encourage one another and we're supposed to behave in a certain way because of these things. So when we get that, it, it lets us move forward in the, in the appropriate response, right? That we, we know how to live. So what these passages tell us is that everyone who has surrendered their life to Jesus is guaranteed to have an eternal, perfected, and physical presence with him, okay? They're going to live forever, their bodies are going to be perfect, they're going to be imperishable, and they're going to be immortal. They're going to never pass away. So the idea of imperishable and immortal there, imperishable means they're perfect and not decaying, right? They're not going to wither away like our bodies do. And they're going to be immortal, meaning they're always going to be there, and not just be there, but be alive, be lively and full of energy, that idea. So that's true whether a person dies before Jesus comes back or whether we're alive when he comes back. And that's everybody, right? That's how that works. There's not leaving anyone out of that. So everyone um, is going to uh, be in this situation where when Jesus returns, those who have surrendered to him, will, those who are dead, will go first. And in a twinkling of an eye, those of us who are alive will follow him, okay? All in a moment, all in twinkling of an eye, we're not going to know when it's coming, and it's just going to happen. And the reality of that is there's no second chances because of that, right? It's all going to happen, and here we are looking at that. So we need to take that into account for those, of, uh, those people around us who don't know Jesus, is they need to know before he comes. They need to know before he comes, otherwise they don't get to take that ride with us. And uh, you know, the Bible makes it clear that that's not a pleasant situation to be in, that they're, they're going to be separated from God forever. And I personally don't want the people I know and love to be in that boat. So I imagine you don't either. Um, so the, that's God's plan, all right? Now, I want to go into a little bit of an explanation of this process, because it, it's something that historically has you know, clearly caught people's attention and, and had a, uh, an impact on the way, the way people think. So it talks about a trumpet sounding and being caught up in the air. Uh, the church world has given this a name. This event is called the rapture. Okay, now that word doesn't appear in the Bible, exactly. I, and I looked into this to, to make sure I was telling you the right things here. It's actually taken, the word rapture is taken from the Latin term for the Greek term here where it says to be caught up. Okay, so that, that word isn't really there. It's kind of a, a secondary translation that's been turned into an English word for us. But the word rapture not appearing in the Bible doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's just the name we gave it. Words don't need to appear in the Bible for us to call a doctrine that and have it be true. For example, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible either, but that's a doctrine we hold, the three, three gods in one kind of thing. It's just a name we give it so we don't have to explain it in 10 sentences all the time. So the idea of the rapture is that catching up of the, the people of Christ when he returns. Um, and sometimes you could get confused if you don't see the word in the Bible, but people are talking about the rapture. I wanted to explain that to you what that meant. Um, so if you haven't heard that before and you do eventually hear someone talk about the rapture, 
That, that's the, the taking up of God's people when Jesus returns. That's the idea. To be caught up in the air with him and transformed into their eternal and immortal bodies. That, that, that's the thing. Now, if you have heard the term rapture before, uh, there's a good chance you know I may have just opened up a great big giant can of worms. Okay, that, that's a place that uh, there's a few different interpretations of how things work out at the end of times. And it seems to me historically, as I've, I've both read and experienced it in my own life, this is one of the places where people can become most divided over how they interpret scripture. And since this uh, sermon series is titled Undivided, I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want us to get divided over things like this. Um, so what I would like to do is put that lid right back on that can of worms. Okay, I, I don't want to get into that so much right now anyway. Uh, I would tell you when we teach our theology class that we do periodically, we did one I think a couple of years ago, it's been now, we'll do it again soon I would imagine. Um, we get into that particular uh, doctrine pretty thoroughly and we talk about it. Life group leaders, I would recommend you, you touch on this before we meet this week and, and have some, you know, some things that you might want to talk about because there might be some questions about how this all works out. Um, what I want to do right now for us, though, is get to the bottom line. The bottom line, guys, is Jesus is coming back, and he's going to take us home. And for me, that's what matters, okay? He's going to take us home to be with him. Uh, most of the other details that we see along those things about how the end of times works uh, is a lot of speculation. There's a lot of scripture that refers to it, but it's kind of around the corner and vague sometimes, and, and people have to draw conclusions from it. And, and it's okay to do that. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I've danced this dance before, and it is prime ter territory, and I speak from personal experience, it's prime territory for that warning about how knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's a great place for people to argue over things that are not going to get you anywhere, honestly. Um, what happens with this? I'll just give you a, a little preview. Both sides start this stuff. Well, what about this thing that you can't explain? Well, what about this thing that you can't explain? Well, what about the other thing you can't explain? And people just go back and forth and just challenge each other with what they can't explain, and they never do answer those questions, because honestly, they're pretty hard to answer if they're answerable at all. Okay, I, I, sometimes you can't. Um, and, and I think, in some sense, God certainly shared some things with us that we can know, like, hey, Jesus is coming back, and you know what? Things are going to get kind of ugly at the end. It's going to be messy. So th those are, everybody agrees on that. Um, but the, some of those other details, you, you get some real tough discussions because it's not so clear. And you know what? I would say it doesn't need to be clear because we're going home. That's what matters, right? He's coming back and he's taking us home. After that, everything kind of diminishes in, in, in importance, I think. Okay, so as, as you start to investigate things for yourself, or if you have already and you know what I'm talking about, I don't want to get too bent out of shape about these details. I want to be going home, and that's what I care about, okay? So when I say going home, I want to clarify for that. I want to make sure you understand what I mean by that, going home to be with Jesus. I want to go to the book of Revelation for a second and, and explain to you that. Wait a minute, I just said it's all fuzzy and unclear, right? So I'm going to go to the book of Revelation. How much unclearer does it get than some of that stuff? But this piece is very clear, okay? In fact, I'm going to read something I think it's impossible to misunderstand. And this being kids' day, we got some young folks in the room. I, I, even they can get this. I'm not, who's youngest in the room? Might, Abigail, maybe? I don't know. Is, maybe Noah. I'm not sure. Could be. Whoever's the youngest is going to understand this. I guarantee you. Okay? Guarantee you everyone can understand this. Uh, Revelation 21, I'm going to read. The first four, five or six verses. 
And not all of these are perfectly understandable, but the part that matters is, and I'll, I'll highlight that for you. So Revelation 21, set, starting in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, so I don't know what all that exactly means. That's a little fuzzy, but here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Boom. That's what matters, right? He will, this is really what matters. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We're going home. That's what that's going to be. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's got it all in hand, guys. He started it all. He's going to finish it. We're going home. And that's what matters. We're going to go be with him, and it ain't going to be bad anymore. What do we got to argue about? Okay, that, that's kind of how I look at that. If you think about that reality, that at some point in time, whatever mess is going on here is going to come to a close, and it's all going to get fixed, and we're going to be with him, and it's going to be good. What are the details going to matter when we see he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God? That's going to be awesome. There's going to be nothing better than that. Are we going to be fussing about who was right about what timeline and what detail we had? when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away? I don't think so. Stop being so silly, okay? We're going to get along with each other in ways that we never thought of. It's going to be awesome, and he's going to be there with us. We're going home. I'm good. I don't need to argue about this stuff anymore, okay? So certainly these doctrines are worth looking at. I enjoy the conversation when we get into it, as long as we're being sane about it. And it's interesting, but it's not something to fight about. Absolutely not something to fight about. So let's not get divided over those things, right? What should concern us more, way more than that, is how many of our loved ones are going with us. That's way more important, okay? If we're going to put our energy into something, let's put it into talking to people about Jesus and letting them know that they need to get on board. Because that train's leaving the station at some point. Right? We've got to make sure that we're, we're doing all we can for that. So that would be my emphasis there, not disagreements over how it's going to happen. Let's get people on board with us. That would be my, my emphasis for you, okay? So the next part of the, the passage goes into an explanation, okay? And, and Paul's kind of telling us not how it's going to work, but some facts about it so that we can understand. And in that, he gives us a little first century trash talk. It's kind of cool. So all along through the whole book, you guys have been through this whole book with us, right? Paul's very logical. If you read Paul's writings, he's a very logical guy, very point by point. I really am drawn to that being a math teacher. It works out well for me. Um, very logical. Contrast that to, say, a writer like John, who um, he's described as more of a, Paul's described as a Western thinker, like the Greek culture, linear thought, this, if this, then that kind of stuff. John's described as a more of an Eastern thinker. He kind of repeats himself and circles around the point over and over again. Both valid ways to express yourself, but one versus the other. So I'm a Paul kind of guy. I'm very logical. 
And uh, he, he does all through this book, he's, he's talking to him, this is your issue, you gotta fix it this way. This is the right truth, you've got the wrong truth. You think you know what you're doing, you don't. This is how it works. Even to this point in, in chapter 15, he starts off with, this is what the, these are the things that are first importance. The gospel, Christ died, he rose from the dead. You're gonna rise from the dead, he's getting logical. And I think all of a sudden it just hits him, hey, we won this thing. And he starts talking trash, right? If you look at this, death, that's swallowed up in victory. He quotes, um, it's Isaiah and Hosea, two, book, two little passages from that. And all of a sudden he's just, I think, overcome with, hey, yo, death, where's your victory? What's up, son? Right? You ain't got no sting. What's wrong with you messing with me? Right? That kind of stuff. You can imagine. He's just going off. It's like an explosion for him compared to what, he, what he's done before. And he, I, I think it's just like, we won this game. It's over. But it's not over yet, right? Yeah, but we won. It's over. It's kind of like when the clock's running out, you, can, you see you win, right? You know the game's over. That's kind of what Paul's on. He's running out the clock here, knowing the game's done. And uh, with that, he then kind of composes himself, okay? He, I think he, you can see, this is great. Wait a minute, I've got to explain this to these people. And then in, uh, we, we see in verse 56 and 57 is where the, the explanation comes in, okay? Um, what he says is that the, the sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so what, what he's looking at is after he kind of, he says, death holds no power of us over, power over us anymore. This is awesome. He, he, I think he, he thinks about it. Wait a minute, why doesn't it? And this is why, right? Um, it was sin, guys, that made death so frightening. And it was the law that produced the guilt that gave sin power over us. If you, if you look at it, through the lens of the, the other books of the Bible, we, we can see that, and, and that's, by the way, that's how you can interpret a scripture if you're not sure what something means. This is relatively clear, but there, there, it might not be so obvious to everybody. If you're not sure what something means, you can see how other parts of the Bible comment on that or they speak to that. You, it's called letting the scripture interpret itself. So, so what I'm gonna do here is go to just reference some other things for you to let you see that. If you, um, Look in like the book of Romans and Galatians. There's discussion after discussion of how the law's purpose was to let us know what sin was. The law did not bring sin. The law revealed sin. Sin was in the heart of every man since Adam. Okay, as soon as uh, Adam decided to disobey, that was it for the rest of us. Sin was there, and now we're all going to disobey. That's what the scripture teaches. So it wasn't like because God gave a law all of a sudden sin popped up. God gave law so that we would know what sin was and we would recognize it. And, and that law then gave sin its leverage over us. Now we understand that, oh no, we're in trouble. We, we can't do this. And then starting, as I referenced a minute ago, starting in the book of Genesis where God told Adam that to disobey would mean his death, and then all the way through, if you read, if you read the Bible with that, looking for that, you'll see it's in the prophets, it's, it shows up in the Proverbs about how if a, a man has a way that he thinks is right, but it leads to death. That's talking about sin. We think we know what's better than, we think we know better than God about what's right, and we do it, and that leads to death. That's sin. Um, and, and all the events of Israel's history, all the historical books, you can see the, the very clear uh, correlation between them not following God and them getting their butts kicked in a war. <laughs> it happens all the time, right? very clear, and God told him that. He told him very clearly what was going on. And then again in Romans and in the book of James, um, it, it, we see the wages of sin is death. That's a quote from the book of Romans. So those two things are tied together. Law showed us sin, sin leads to death, and that's what Paul's saying here, is, is all of that 
was what gave death that terrifying hold over us, that when we die separated from God, that's bad news. And, and that, that's, Paul's reflecting on that. And he says, but that's been defeated. Where is your sting? You don't have it anymore because Christ is right, raised from the dead and you're going with him, right? Um, and, and in all that, the, the reality is it's such an exciting thing because we were slaves to that sin. We couldn't get away. Um, Jesus himself said that in John 8, we're slaves to sin, and that is clearly echoed throughout all the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, uh, Peter's writings, Titus, anywhere you want to look, when, you, when it talks about sin, it pretty quickly gets to we're slaves of it and it kills us, that kind of thing. So that would be a horrible thing. Paul's seeing the, the victory that we've had, and he reminds us in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All that he just spent time talking about from the beginning of this chapter was leading to this point, that we have victory. We have won because of what Jesus did. We won the game, and he's excited about that. We're going home. We don't have to live like this, okay? So the, the concept here is to uh, take this, this knowledge, right, that we, we have this um, weird thing that Paul tells us about this transformation that we're going to experience when Christ comes back, Pretty strange idea, but hey, this is a good deal. And it's a good deal because of the situation you were in, right? That you were, you were a slave to sin. You know it because of the law that was revealed to you. And you're going to die. But thanks be to God, we have victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He died for us, paid that sin penalty, and we're going home with him. If we trust him, surrender to him, and know that that's, uh, you know, know that's a reality in our lives. So what that leads us to finally is in the last couple of verses here, how do we let that affect our lives, right? Head knowledge, awesome, but only gets you so far. We got to take that, let it sink into your, your soul, into your heart and your, your behavior and help it change you. As I referenced when we, we started off, we want to see people change to be more like Jesus. That's what he wants too. He told us that. So how do we let that happen? Verses 58 and 59 is a very powerful application. The words here are very strong. Um, and, and we see uh, you know, how, how it can affect us to make us more like Jesus. So it says in verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Okay. It's one sentence, two clauses, essentially. This really packs a punch. I, I would challenge you that you can't find a more efficient call to action in the scripture. There's a lot of stuff to do here in these couple of, couple of, couple of one sentence, right? It's, it's a big deal. So one of my habits when I see a list of words like this is I try to look the words up and think what they mean to, to give some depth to the understanding. I mean, as a sentence, certainly, I think we all know the general concept of what steadfast and immovable mean. But I, I look up the definition because then you get some synonyms and ways to think through it that will kind of give it some meat. So steadfast, other translations will say stand firm there. Be steadfast or stand firm. Some synonyms and some definitions there, dependable, strong, unwavering, not changing, or something you can count on. Okay, so that's certainly a, a pretty deep picture there. Okay, it got a lot of, got a lot of meanings to it. And then immovable, which in other translations is let nothing move you, okay? It, it just, it gives the connotation of not backing off, staying where you should be, I'm not going anywhere, okay? Two words that are similar, certainly, they, ha they have some similarities to them, but there's different meanings to, to what they are. There, one is a 
kind of an attitude, the other's more of a, a behavior action, right? Um, so lots of pictures come to mind for me. Uh, I'm sure you might have some too. Maybe there's stories or books that you've read or movies that you've watched, stuff like that, different genres of, of things, fantasy, superheroes, real life, historical figures, I don't know. There, there's all kinds of ways that this can connect with you. You think of the person that, that makes sense to you. Or maybe it's a real life person. Maybe you know somebody like that. Um, or know a job like that, that they, you know, like a soldier or something, they're just there, right? That kind of thing. Whatever it is that, that connects with you. Um, but whatever that is, that pales in comparison to this, okay? All those stories and things, all those heroes we have and stuff like that, typically those are stories because the hero has some sort of extraordinary ability, he's a, a great person or a superhero or whatever, has superpowers. But Paul's writing to everyday, regular people just like us, okay? He's telling them to do this. So if he's telling them, he's telling us, and we're everyday and ordinary people, we need to be doing this too. Right? So we know how messed up these people were. We just spent 15 chapters reading how they were doing things wrong left and right and barely got a compliment here and there. Okay? And he's still calling them to that. He's calling us to that then too, guys. Right? We can be steadfast and we can be immovable. Um, difference is, and not difference, but the same, the same way he called them to it, he's calling us to it. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to do this. That's our superpower, right? Whatever fantasy kind of superpower stuff that we watch in movies and read in books, it's all fun. Again, just like cheering for your Super Bowl team. It's all, it's all good stuff. But in reality, it's the Holy Spirit that's our superpower. That's what keeps us going. If you're going to be steadfast and immovable, you're only going to be able to do it if the Holy Spirit's working in you. Because you can't on your own. I, I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work, OK? We cannot stand on our own and do this. We can put up a good fight. A lot of us are strong and can do some really enduring, steadfast things, but at the end of the day, we're all going to give up. Everybody gives up. Nobody can stand up forever. We need the Holy Spirit to keep us going. And that's, again, a bulk of this book is about how the Holy Spirit is supposed to work in the correct manner to keep you strong, to keep you building up each other, stuff like that. So we can take all those lessons. You know, we've been at this a long time. I, I got to look back. It's been weeks and weeks we've been in this book hearing these things. And he's, it's coming to a close here saying, all of that stuff I was talking about, all of those spiritual gifts, all of those disciplines I was calling you to, that's going to make you, when you put it together with the fact that we're going home, that's going to make you steadfast and immovable. That's what's going to keep you going. Okay? And the last sentence here, or the last piece of the sentence, says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding is an idea of lots of life and energy. That, that's the, you know, abundance is, is another form of that word. Um, basically, what he's telling you here is don't give up, don't walk away, and then jump in. Jump in with both feet and always do it. Keep on jumping. One time's not enough. You got to keep jumping into the work of the Lord. And I don't know what that is for you, right? The work of the Lord is a kind of a vague term. It's whatever God wants us to do. Maybe it's you know, doing something here at the church, teaching, uh, leading a ministry, I don't know. There's all kinds of things that are going on here that you can do. Maybe it's something in your own personal life, talking to your neighbors, uh, feeding the homeless, you know, all kinds of things we can think of serving the Lord. There, there, you fill in the blank for that one. That, that's between you and God there. But you've got to be looking for that, right? And jump in with both feet. Do it with energy. Do it with uh, the excitement that comes that, hey, we're going home and I'm doing this for the Lord, right? Whatever he's called you to do, do it. 
Now, if none of those things I just said are on a list of things for you to do, okay. You know, I don't know what it is. But you know what's on all of our lists to do? Jesus' last thing he told us before he left. Go and make disciples. That's on all of our lists. That wasn't just for the people standing there listening to him. That was for all of us. So if you have no other work in the Lord that you know of, I'm not going to get into that. You figure that out for yourself. If you have nothing else, you do have the work of going to make disciples. You do have the obligation to share with people because we want them on that train with us, remember? We want them in the twinkling of an eye going with us. And that's what Jesus left us to do. He, he told us, go do that. So we, we all have some manner of obligation to Jesus in that. And here's the neat thing. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What you do for him is not in vain. It might seem like it sometimes. It might seem that nobody notices, nobody cares. If that happens here, my apologies. We should be noticing and caring. I hope, I hope you see that. Um, it might seem like it didn't work out. Right? I tried and it didn't work. Yeah, that happens too. Learn from it, try to do something better with it. But you know what? Your labor was not in vain. God is so much bigger than the mistakes that we make and the failures that we have. We cannot comprehend. This is where we get in the, the, the foolishness of looking at our own little surroundings and thinking that we get it all. Because God has got such a long game going on, we don't get what he's doing half the half. That's generous most of the time large portion of the time. We don't get what's going on. So what we see as a failure sometimes, he's just using it for something that we don't get, and it's going to work out. He promises. He says his word won't go out void. It will return to him, and accomplishing what he wants. And he tells us here, our labor is not in vain. We're doing it for him. Not to be noticed by other folks. Not to accomplish things necessarily. Of course, we want both of those things to be appropriately happening, right? We want, we want the proper interaction with each other, and we want things to work. I get that. But that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it for him. We do it for him, and it's not going to be in vain, right? The, the idea here is he is going to know what we've done. And guys, if we do this stuff, if, we, if we've been steadfast and immovable, if we've been jumping in with both feet with all kinds of energy, if it works out, great. If it doesn't, that's his call, right? Think about what happened with Joseph. Joseph, when he was cast into a pit, sold to slavers, all that other stuff, when it all came to an end, what he said to his brothers was, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? Not even a mistake. Those guys did that on purpose. They were mean to him on purpose, and God used it to save Israel. Actually, save the world, the known world at the time. So all of that puts together, when you're doing these things for God, he knows, and he's going to take care of that in whatever manner it might be. And at the end of the day, we're going home with him. Okay? So if we keep those attitudes, if we keep those behaviors, hopefully, at the end, we could hear those precious words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We'll go home with him. He'll gather us in and say this to us. And... All those other things I read earlier, no more tears, no more crying, he's there with us. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, if that doesn't get you to the point where you can get excited about serving him, I don't know what else will. I really don't. It, it, going home to be with him is, is the, the pinnacle of our existence. So hopefully that'll do that for you. Now, I mentioned a couple of times here, you have to surrender to Jesus to do that. And I don't know everybody here. I don't know where your hearts are, but you do, and you can talk to God about that. If your heart has surrendered to him, rejoice. We're going home. And then think about how to jump in with both feet, right? If you don't know if you've surrendered to Jesus, 
you need to talk to me or to Jeremy or someone else that knows Jesus and, and, and we can help you understand that and jump on the train with us and go home when it's time. In the meantime, we'll help you learn how to serve, okay? Guys, this, is, this should be a time of great rejoicing. The, the, the joy we have to go home with Jesus, I hope you can, you can take that from this. And then from that, I hope your lives will be stronger for him. Um, I'm going to pray now as we're coming up. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.